1: Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason and Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we got uh, somebody you've seen on the air, Joe Concha. He's going to come join us. going to talk a little bit about his book. Come on, man. And uh, a little bit of a discussion about Joe Biden uh, and uh, what he's written about there. But also a little bit more about uh, Joe's background. You know, he's, he's one of the. Up and coming and uh, best personalities that we have at uh, Fox News and really interesting guy. But I, know, I don't know enough about his background, how he got to to Fox and his life story and everything else. So we're going to get into that. A few thoughts on the news. We're going to highlight the stupid because, you know, as we say, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. So there's no lack of material there. And then, uh, like I said, have the conversation with uh, Joe Conta. All right. So a few things about the news. And and some of this happened over the last few weeks here, but I, I, I hope people understand the gravity of what's going on with fentanyl. In Phoenix, uh, just like two weeks ago, two people, just two people were arrested with more than one million pills. Now, that is a concerted effort. Uh, that is no hey, I've got some fentanyl, and I'm going to mix it up in my garage. Um, and these are just the ones that they caught. It is the leading cause of death for men, uh, for young adults, uh, if you will. I call them young because I'm older now, 18 to 54, the number one cause of death. It's it's a stunning number, okay? It is an absolute stunning number. And there in Phoenix, good good on the Phoenix Police Department, the largest single fentanyl bust in the history with 1 million pills. This problem is getting bigger. It's not getting better. Um, And with the wide open borders, it is a clear path to bring these types of deadly drugs uh, into the United States of America. And it has to stop. All right. Uh, I got a highlight also in the news. It could be in the stupid, but it's to the point where it's... um, so common uh, and so weird and so bizarre. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when the, the crowd laughed when Joe Biden he was addressing him? He sees somebody in the crowd and says, "Quote: We go back a long way. She was twelve and I was thirty. But anyway, this woman helped me get an awful lot done. Anyway." What is up with creepy Joe Biden? I mean, the, the the way he sniffs the hair, touches these young young women, and then just, oh, sees somebody in the crowd. Oh, yeah, fondly remembering. I was 30. She was 12. It's just very, very creepy. And it goes beyond just being stupid. It goes to flat out being concerning. I think this is, even after the Joe Biden presidency, I think there will be more and more of this that will pop up. It never got properly vetted. And uh, it really is just flat out. Creepy. Um, And then I also wanted to take a hats off to Elon Musk. Uh, He confirmed uh, recently that he was making his Starlink uh, available in Iran. Now, if you haven't been following what's going on in Iran, there have been a lot of uprisings. I think there is a new generation there in Iran that uh, wants more freedom. They want more prosperity. They want more autonomy. Um, and their ability to communicate has been suppressed by their government for a long time. But Elon Musk, what he's able to do with satellites and whatnot is to go around the traditional cable, if you will, uh, access to the Internet and allow this star link so that people in these communities can have access to the Internet, have access to the Internet that doesn't run through the Iranian government. Guess what? You can then communicate and that. Hats off again to Elon Musk. He was doing this in Ukraine so the Ukrainians could communicate. Now he's doing it in Iran. This is all coming out of his own pocket. Um, Yeah, yeah, you can say he has deep pockets and, you know, the richest guy in the world and everything. But it's one thing to have that. It's another thing to be deploying it and doing it in such a way that it really does make the world a better place. And so hats off. A, for developing the technology, having the foresight to develop the technology, and then to deploy it. Um, can't thank uh, Elon Musk enough. All right. On uh, the other end of the spectrum, though, it's time to bring on the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And uh, for the first one, I got several today. But the first one, I have to go to Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, Um, Joe Biden declared that the COVID emergency, the pandemic was over. There's uh, scant evidence that it continues on. Got to worry about it. Got to pay attention to it. But there's lots of things that are concerning to the health and well-being of the United States of America uh, and the American people. But she decided to extend proxy voting until after the election what that means is essentially members of congress in the house of representatives the senate never did this by the way the house of member house of representatives you don't have to show up at your job you can be wherever you want vote however you want just get on the phone say "Yeah, yeah yes or no that is so counter to how our uh representative government should be working you need to be there you need to be a part of the debate you need to hear what's going on on the floor you need to be able to have the discussions you need to To just vote from afar has always been fundamentally totally wrong. Now, remember, she did force people to come to the floor of the House when they were voting for speaker, because that is uh, the way you have to do it there in the Constitution. And people who had COVID were brought onto the floor of the House behind some plexiglass to vote for the speaker then she was totally fine but now no extending it to the election so people in tight races can continue to campaign without ever having to show back up in washington dc that's stupid number one number two is this representative cindy axney i don't know how you pronounce the name she is a democrat from iowa And initially, she claimed COVID-19 was the reason she could not attend an emergency August house vote in person. But, oh, whoops, her son posted a picture on Instagram. Oh, Instagram getting in trouble. She later admitted it wasn't because of COVID-19 and that was the reason she couldn't attend the house August vote. No, she was on vacation in France didn't want to disrupt it uh that is just flat out stupid again i got to highlight number three joe biden joe biden and kamala harris on the same day last week made two major gaps now you know the hurricane was happening and that is absolutely news number one ian was just devastating florida and south carolina i get that that is the the primary news um, and really does affect people's lives but again, the frequency in which this happens is a little bit scary because Joe Biden was at a bill signing or a ceremony, and uh, he was speaking, and he kept calling for Jackie Walorski. Now, Jackie Walorski is the member of Congress, the Republican from Indiana, who was killed in a car crash weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And her death is sad and went up, but he kept calling out her name as if she was in the audience. It was so embarrassing and just totally unaware. This happens the same time that Kamala Harris, our vice president, very scant, uh, very uh, little to none in terms of foreign policy experience. Uh, she was there on the DMZ, uh, the, the demilitarized zone there between South Korea and North Korea. And what does she do? She talks about our strong alliance with the Republic of North Korea. Without even hesitating. It's just again the 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 awareness and the, everybody makes a mistake, okay? I get that. And they'll make two or three mistakes. But the frequency in which these people make major mistakes is stunning. And she's reading this material. She's looking at her notes if you watch the video and then she looks up and she's talking about our strong alliance with the Republic of North Korea. Way to represent the USA there, Ms., uh, Madam Vice President. And that is The Stupid. All right, now it's time to make a, a little bit of a transition because uh, we want to call up uh, Joe Concha. Uh, he's got a book out. It's called Come On, Man, The Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. Um, I've got it. It's right here in front of me. I haven't read it yet. It's just finishing up Jared Kushner's breaking history but this looks like a great fun book and you go on the back cover it's uh chock full of great quotes from the president of the united states um and who better did to write that and do that is uh is somebody you've seen frequently on fox so let's call joe concha and have a little discussion about his book and a little discussion about how joe concha got to where he is today so let's dial up joe
0: Hi, this is Joe Concha. Who's calling? <laughs>
1: Joe, Jason Chaffetz. Chaffetz, you're in the house, literally in my house. What are you doing here? Hey, you look good. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. I really do
0: appreciate it. Of course. We got to talk about a book, apparently, that I wrote.
1: Yeah, congratulations. It's called Come On, Man, The Truth About <laughs> Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. And But there's an awful lot of material here. I'm glad to see you capture it all on a piece of paper. Isn't it amazing? All the material that this president has given us,
0: not just during this presidency, Jason, but throughout his entire life. And here I sit and I'm thinking, boy, I'm going to competed against a lot of people for this, a lot of eyeballs. I'm sure a lot of other journalists out there who always talk about speaking truth to power without fear or favor to party. They're probably going to be writing books as well. Maggie Haberman, Jonathan Carl, Jim Acosta. I'm in big trouble. How am I going to stand out from all these heavyweights? And then I looked at the literary schedule, and apparently, Jason, there are 15 books coming out about the president, except his name isn't Biden. His name's Trump. And that's over <laughs> the next five weeks. I, You are literally talking to the only author of a Biden book that has come out. In the past eight months, I don't know how it happened, but it happened.
1: You know, it really is. The thing that's always been a mystery is where's the intellectual curiosity? Where, Where's the impartial uh, person who says, oh, you know, I'm going to dive into this no matter which party it is. I, I don't understand how they can look themselves in the mirror. They can't.
0: I I think I think it's at this point. It's okay. How do I make the most money? All right. I'll write about Trump and I'll play to that unhinged crowd instead of talking about the guy in power. Right. The guy that is transforming this country. I know there's some things that he couldn't pass, like federalizing voting laws, for example. But boy, has he done a lot already, Jason. Right. I mean, the trillions of dollars that are spent on top of the trillions we're already spending. And look at the result. 40-year high inflation. Why is Joe Biden doing this? Why are Democrats doing this? Because Joe Biden ain't no moderate. That's something you're going to learn in Come On, Man. He was sold that way, but he's always been about big government. I mean, remember, he was the happiest guy on the planet when Obamacare passed and he goes up to his boss, Barack Obama and says, this is a big effing deal, because he believed that. He believes government is always the solution instead of the problem. So then when he says, let's spend trillions of dollars and we're going to call it the Inflation Reduction Act and that's going to lower inflation, which Any kid with a, you know, a lemonade stand knows that that's not how you lower inflation. But this is who this man is, a far left ideologue, no moderate and certainly not a unifier, Jason.
1: So I agree with all of that. Now, now on the back of the book, you've got all these great quotes from the president. And so is it just about the gaffes or how where else do you go in this book? Because. The gaffes could fill a book just by themselves. Um, But did you go into other aspects of his presidency? Let's read some of those quotes, shall we, for the folks at home? Yes, yes, yes.
0: Here's one that was during the 2020 campaign. Quote, poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Oh, so there are no poor white kids that may not be getting a good education. No wonder why we're 25th in the world in in education and reading and writing and science uh, while China's number one. But this one I, I like the most. If I had intended to cheat, would I have been so stupid? I value my word above all else. Oh, no, you don't. Because when you ran for president in 1988, Joe Biden, you had to drop out because of ding, 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 plagiarism <laughs> and not with a small fee, Jason. You remember this. He took, who is it? A guy running for British prime minister against Margaret Thatcher. He literally took the speech word for word and tried to present it as his home. He drops out of that race. It's humiliating. And you would think that there's no way this guy could run again. I mean, that's that's the type of thing you don't recover from. But sure enough, he ran again in 2008 and lost, didn't even get out of Iowa, basically. But then Barack Obama somehow wins the nomination. And as you'll see in the book, he comes down to a choice between Tim Kaine, who was Hillary's eventual running mate in 2016, or Joe Biden. Why those two guys? Because basically you look at his LinkedIn page, Barack Obama, and it says community organizer and then senator for about five minutes. So He's like, oh boy, I'm going against John McCain. I need somebody with foreign policy experience. So for lack of a better idea, he chooses Joe Biden, who has been wrong about every foreign policy decision that he's ever made. That's not me saying that—that's Robert Gates, his former defense secretary, and yeah. Obama Biden, yeah. right? Uh, and then you think, okay, well, he was a horrible vice president in in the book as well. Jay, you're going to learn that in 2012. Barack Obama seriously considered replacing Joe Biden on the ticket with Hillary Clinton because he always saw Hillary as his heir apparent. There's Hillary, Ivy League girl. I'm an Ivy League guy, Barack Obama's thinking. And oh, I'm the first black president and she could be the first female president, so it'll be an easy handoff. And then at the last second they decided that she wouldn't give him really any electoral bump and they were kind of leading comfortably anyway so they didn't want to upset the apple cart. So that was the end of that. So then you think, okay, there's no no way Joe Biden at his advanced age and basically failing upward his entire life, runs for president in 2020, but sure enough, he does. Democrats clear the decks for him to get the nomination, and then without that once-in-a-century pandemic, he would have actually had to campaign. He would actually yeah. have to sell you on the fact that spending is good, and his economic policies are good, against a Donald Trump with, again, without COVID, we were at peace, we were at, we had prosperity, and when you have those two things as an incumbent, you're impossible to beat, but again, everything lined up for Biden, and here he is as our 46th president.
1: Yeah, no, I, it, it is kind of stunning, because failing up, I think, is right. He just just keeps standing there. Yeah. Um, but I, And he did. He campaigned right out of his bunker. I always thought it was a real shame that we didn't have that third debate where we are actually going to talk about foreign policy. Because I thought it was one of the, the greatest strengths of Donald Trump's presidency and one of the greatest weaknesses of Biden. I could see why the Biden Democrats did not want to have them talking about foreign policy.
0: Remember what happened, why we didn't have three debates, right? I mean, when we talk about this in the book in terms of media collusion. We always heard about Russia collusion. No, it was media collusion. The second debate, there was a guy from C-SPAN, right? Yeah. And and he accidentally thought he was sending a direct message to Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch, right, who became very anti-Trump. And he asked Scaramucci, and it's in writing, what do you think I should ask Trump? Now, what is a presidential debate moderator why is he going to a former aide? Remember, he was communication director for about 10 minutes, uh, Scaramucci was. And then he's on CNN every day talking about how horrible Trump is after that. Why is he going to him? Why does he need questions written For him from somebody who is such a staunch opponent of the president. So then that debate eventually gets canceled and they blame COVID for some reason, as if they couldn't separate them across like a stage or whatever, right? But they cancel it because it was a complete embarrassment for the uh, uh, Commission on Presidential Debates that their guy was soliciting advice from somebody like Anthony Scaramucci. So we never got to see that second and third debate. And, And everybody seemed okay with this in media, but really, who did it benefit? Joe Biden because, again, he would have to stand there and make an argument, not just Donald Trump is bad, vote for me, but what are you going to do to make the country better? They took that debate away and they robbed the American people of seeing Joe Biden in true form, which ain't good without a teleprompter.
1: That's right. And almost every aspect of what Donald Trump was doing, from securing the border to what was going on with North Korea, to tearing up the Iran deal, to the Paris Climate Accord, those are things that we legitimately should have had a discussion about. There were fundamental differences, but you know, the Biden people are smart and they, they did these uh the puppeteers, they did not want to Joe, Uncle Joe, to be out there answering questions. Yeah. Hunker down in the basement and that was the strategy and it should have never been allowed to do that. I see that playing out in governor's races. I like a governor, Hochul, Hochul, right? in, in go, New York, yeah. Lee Zeldin wants to debate. She won't debate. Uh, Fetterman up in Pennsylvania, did want to debate, won't debate, you know? So, you know, to have one debate weeks after the open, uh, uh, the ballots are already out the box. It's just Patty Murray in, in Washington state. Why do all these Democrats not want to get out there and debate?
0: They don't have a bumper sticker. Right. The bumper stickers are right themselves sometimes. Right. And then Ronald Reagan had a shining city on the hill. You're like, wow, that's optimistic. I kind of like it. Even Obama, Biden had a pretty good one. You got to admit in 2012, uh, bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. OK, I can absorb that. I get it. I see what you're saying. Uh, right. Now, uh, the Democrats, you know, what's Gavin Newsom's bumper sticker? I'll do to America what I did to California. Yikes. <laughs> right. And, and they can't run on, obviously, economy and inflation because the, the president's polling on disapproval in the 60s, even the 70s on his handling of that. They can't run on crime particularly somebody like Hochul here in New York, who supports cashless bail, allowing criminals again and again to go out and kill and hurt people and rob and so on. She can't possibly defend that on a debate stage, and that's why she's staying away from that. They can't defend the border, clearly, where, you know what? When you include the gotaways, the people that were not even yeah. documenting, Jason, the number is going close to, like, 5 million people in two years. That's the is similar, actually, that's equivalent to the population of the entire country of Ireland. So think about that. A whole Ireland is going to be entering this country in two years, so they can't defend that. So a John Fetterman, who clearly has health issues. My mom had a stroke, all right? I, I say this with sympathy or empathy, I should say. Uh, and she never quite recovered in terms of her speech or her cognitive abilities. I mean, she was like 80% mom, but she, but right, again, yeah. you know, she worked part-time as a real estate agent. She's not going to be a senator for the next six years. It's a very important job. And if you can't debate uh, your opponent, you're certainly not going to be able to debate on the Senate floor. And Federer now has a debate with just one, by the way, with Oz, Dr. Oz, October 27th. Oh, that's only five weeks after ballots are our cast. They're running scared because they can't run on the issues, Jason.
1: I know. and It's so fundamentally wrong. I hope they figured that out. You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Joe Concha right after this. Listen to the all-new Brett
0: Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, I want to talk a little bit about uh Joe Concha growing up and how you Ooh. got to the spot that you are so let let's spend a little bit of time on that where Where were you born? <laughs> what was uh, home like what was uh brothers sisters dogs cats what what was life like uh, for young Joe? I get that sometimes Where were you born I can't pick up your accent.
0: And, well, I've cheated, I have to admit. My first course in college was about getting this neutral diction, it's called, and I had to eliminate my New Jersey accent, because Joe Concha, and this comes out once in a while if, you know, one bourbon becomes three, I had a nasal A, handle, candle, twil- it's, you know, it's how we talk in Jersey, right? And and I was able to eliminate that permanently, uh, for the most part. So, yeah, I was born in a little town called Wayne, New Jersey, and I had a brother and a sister, older, who basically didn't speak to me because they were kind of, like, much older, so we weren't in like the playing together stage type of thing. right? So I just married myself to sports, a lot of them, right? So I played baseball and I played basketball and I played football. State champs, Wayne Valley. Uh, so really? that was fun. Well, oh, yeah. What e- position were you? You'll never believe it because you've met me in person. Um, I was
1: a defensive end. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was Lawrence Taylor, basically, yeah. Well, I know you're tenacious, so but I I, I kind of buy that. But you're not, you know, yeah, but that that's interesting. And you were state champs. I mean, you must have had some game. Uh, yeah, no, I was all conference and all area and all
0: that fun stuff that the thing was i grew up and I was 5'9 in 7th grade, I was basically the tallest kid in the class, so Ooh. I was a center on the basketball team, tight end, defensive end, football, right? So I, I played these positions that tall people play. But then this funny thing happened, and my dad's 6'3, so I, I figured I'd keep going. I stopped. I literally stopped growing in 7th grade, so now I'm 5'9, but now I'm not getting any bigger. So I, I had speed, though, so you know when you play football, you're usually right. going to a, a tackle or a tight end. So instead of like engaging these people, I just went around them, <laughs> yeah. was able to get my sacks that way. So that was fun. And then and otherwise, I did TV in high school, which is kind of a rare thing. But we had a community access station. We did an hourly show on Thursday nights called Rock and
1: Roll TV, and and that was that was fun. You had your own Wayne's World, it, literally in the town of Wayne, right? So, and there's tapes I mean, of this. That, that's, that literally is in Wayne. Yeah.
0: I was yeah. a field reporter, so I went out and interviewed students about the issues that affect them most, I believe is the way I put it. And uh, that that paved the way to college, and I eventually ended up at Maryland. I was in Emerson College in Boston, and I I hated urban school life. I'm like, where's the campus? Like, there's my building, there's my building, and Boston is exceptionally cold. I know that Chicago's the windy city. I'm sorry, when you have a dorm on the Charles River, you've never felt a cold like that before. <laughs> so I, I was I was supposed yeah. to play baseball there, Division Three. But uh, the minute I went through a couple practices, it was so damn cold. Every time you hit the ball, your, your hands, you couldn't feel them. I'm like, yeah, this isn't for me. I, I need to go south. So I went to the University of Maryland, and uh, that, that's more of a campus. Like, if you've ever seen the movie St. Almost Fire, like, they filmed the whole thing there, which is complete BS really? because, oh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. supposed to be Georgetown grads struggling to make it in the real world, you know, like Rob Lowe and Amelia West. Right. Well, they used the Maryland campus because Georgetown was too expensive to film that. So whenever you watch that and you see Rob Lowe coming out of a fraternity house, that was mine, and I had my fun there, and that was great. And then the funny thing is, Jason, that for a while I was trying to get into television and I was working as a producer and a writer but to live around New York City, you also have to have a job that really kind of pays well. So I eventually just went into sales because I guess I'm halfway decent at making an argument. So I was selling, like, video conferencing for, like, Cisco Systems, this big IT company. And I was just kind of working around the edges as far as trying to get into television. And eventually I ended up as Fox, at Fox, believe it or not, at Fox & Friends as a news writer working the overnight shift. which Oh, was, my
1: goodness. That is a hard shift. Oh, what time did you come in?
0: Midnight, 1 o'clock. And... Oh. I, yeah. would, I would work, you know, and then one day I, I go to the doctor for like an annual checkup. He goes, uh, Joe, you've gained like 30 pounds over the last year. Because I stopped exercising because you don't sleep anymore, you know, and you don't have any energy. And he goes, and it seems like you're eating poorly because your cholesterol levels like going through the roof. I'm in like my, you know, my 30s at this point, And I'm hearing these, I'm having this conversation. I'm like, boy, I think I got to try something else. So uh, I went to go right from Mediaite, which is, uh, I'm sure you read it. If you're in cable news, everybody does. Basically, it's a site that covers the cable news industry. And that started leading me to get on the air on CNN, believe it or not, yes, I was on CNN with the Don Lemons and Chris Cuomos of the world when it was kind of a sane network pre-Trump. And then I was be going on Fox a lot with like O'Reilly and Hannity and so on. And eventually it got me to a place where The Hill hired me because I had uh, visibility in the hills of publication down in D.C., nice, centrist yeah. publication. And then, uh, and then Fox eventually said, hey, we want to make you a new contributor like Jason Chaffetz. So I'm like, this is great. So uh, then I, I'm here. And ever since
1: then, I'm on the air like you a lot. And it's a labor of love. Well, that's great because, you know, you, 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 to work through all the different aspects of it just makes you a better, stronger, more, uh, you give you a better understanding of what it takes to put it all together.
0: You appreciate it. F-
1: yeah. You know? Fox and Friends is one of those shows. I think it's the only show at Fox where literally there is staff working there 24 hours a day. That's right. You can go back on the second floor there and go find Fox and Friends staff. And inevitably, there's always somebody there. You call, and somebody will answer the phone. Fox and Friends has a lot of programming, three hours a day, so you can see why it
0: happens. Yeah, and even the. Have you ever hosted the weekends? I think I've seen you on there. Right? I have. Yeah, I have. That's a four-hour show.
1: It's a four-hour show. So that's
0: a lot of, you know, if, if we want to go inside baseball, for, for the folks listening at home, so basically each hour has six blocks, they're called, six segments. So you see a segment, you go to commercial, see the segment. So you're talking now with a four-hour show, 24 segments. That means multiple guests, multiple reporters, multiple moving parts. All the, all the stuff has to be written in terms of the introductions and the teases and so
1: on. So, yeah, that, that is the a small army. that oh my, have to come up. God, the, yeah. The B-roll that has to go back, the... They're called SOTS, st- sound over tape, where, yep. you know, they go and then you can listen to the tape for like five seconds and then it goes back to the... It It's fairly complicated to put that thing together for an hour, but to do it for four hours? For four right.
0: hours, yeah. And then the worst is, let's say you do all this work and then at 5.30... Uh, you know, a plane crashes or there's some sort of like big event that wipes out the entire rundown. You just kind of look at it and be like, well, there goes all that work. But, you know, that's news. You know, you got to go where the news is. And now we're obviously seeing that with the hurricane uh, as far as that just being the number one only story, as it should be. I mean, Jason, you ever see a storm like this that goes this, this thing came under Florida, went across Cuba, and then it makes this this right hand turn like you don't see storms make as if it's a heat seeking missile that's moving at 10 miles an hour just so it could aim for Florida goes across Florida it weakens over land. You're like, oh, good. I guess that's the end of it. No, it's not. It goes back out into the ocean, becomes a hurricane again, then makes a left again so it could hit the Charleston area or somewhere around it. I've never seen a hurricane move like this as
1: if it's aiming for something. I mean, it's it's really sad to watch. It's going left. It goes right. Then it goes left again. Yeah. And the devastation that it puts in place. I mean, I, I think the biggest rainfall I ever sat through was perhaps two inches of rain and then they go out and they talk about well it's 12 inches of rain or 15 inches of rain. I'm like that is just unfathomable to me. Yeah. I, I just And the idea of storm surge being 12 feet, it's just, that is crazy how much water that is.
0: I lived in Hoboken. That, that was also part of that whole life when I worked at Fox and Friends. And the single life in Hoboken, uh, CNN once did a story that Hoboken is the best city in the country to live in if you're over 30 and single. So that, that's where <laughs> I was. But the problem with Hoboken was that you could sneeze and the place floods. It's it's basically almost below sea level. Mm. So when Hurricane Sandy came, Superstorm Sandy, that had a 14-foot surge. And we had to mandatorily evacuate. We had a ground level apartment, and the whole city just was like one big fishbowl, like you know, 10, 15 feet high of water. It was insane, and the Jersey Shore got knocked out completely. And that—that's my 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 love. You know, if if you ever talk to me for more than five minutes, I will bring it up in some way, shape, or form. It's a beautiful place, and after that, it took years before I saw the Jersey Shore that I grew up with and that that I loved and knew. And that's that's what you're going to see with Sanibel Island and Fort Myers and and Naples and all these places that were. So, I don't know if you you ever been to the West Coast of Florida, Jason, but it's the most beautiful place, I think, in the country. And now you're not going to recognize it for for so long. And that's that's what's so sad about this. But then I got to hear Amy Klopachar, the senator, saying, vote for us in November, because if you do, then hurricanes like this aren't going to happen. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what she was implying, which is such BS, dude, because you know how this works. If India, Russia and China don't do anything about their carbon footprint, we could spend trillions upon trillions and it ain't going to matter. Right. It's a world problem if you want to acknowledge it as a big big problem but we can't do it alone and this whole thing like the Democrats will save us from hurricanes it's so disingenuous that's what just gets me angry
1: well we've had weather and we've had climate change per se I don't know for a eon since before the dinosaurs right I mean it, it these things weather does change all of Utah not all of Utah but um, you know, huge swatches of Utah used to all be underwater, which is not oh, really more. I mean, things change along. Anyway, yeah. Uh, and you know what? I was out actually with my wife, got a chance to 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 do a speaking event in Marco Island one week before that hurricane hit, and that beautiful beach they have out there. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine what it's like today. And can and I tell all you the stories? We're going to hear about. You know, I I think. I think it was ron desantis that i that i heard he was talking about the essentially the comment was uh the worst of the events bring out the best in these inner people because they do throw aside uh, political labels and they just get out there and help and as much as the federal government state government local government can help at the end of the day, it's going to be neighbor helping neighbor. These are going to be the inspirational stories.
0: And that's what we see uh, on Fox all, all the time, right? Where, where people are yeah. just going out other way. And I saw it in New Jersey as well. I mean, just people dropped everything, left their jobs for weeks uh, j- just to help people rebuild again. I, I, I just, you know, DeSantis, I, I think from what I've seen so far, boy he he really has and I don't want to make it too political right this isn't a cheering section but when you see him during these press conferences he is uh, has a command of the facts uh, and and it, it, you just see somebody who you have a feeling bigger things uh, may be coming uh, down the line because yeah. uh, he yeah. it, this this is like nothing Florida has ever seen before just because it hits so many different places rather right? we talked about Orlando and Jacksonville and obviously oh. all, uh, Southwest Florida um, and I, I think he's handling it about as well as he possibly couldn't even as critics for the most part have been kept at bay this is somebody who clearly um knows what he's doing you can see the military background most importantly coming through it appears
1: yeah yeah his time in the navy is uh decorated. yeah yeah look when i was chairman of the oversight committee he was on the oversight committee uh, with us and i was also on judiciary with me and um you know he was a good member of congress he's a great governor you're listening to jason in the house we'll be right back I want to go back to Joe Concha a little bit because yes. before I lose you, I have some rapid questions I have to ask you. Okay, this will be interesting. And um, I don't care how many times you've been to Hoboken and, you know, play, <laughs> you know, the defensive tackle, sacking, defensive quarterback. End. I don't know that you're ready for these, Joe. Okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. First concert you attended? Genesis. <laughs>
0: Really? Giant Stadium. Yeah. I mean, they were a big deal at the time. Phil Collins. Yep. Yeah. Tonight, tonight, tonight. uh, And uh, that was summer of 1987. And I just remember seeing 76,000 people there to watch this band. I'm like, this is kind of cool. That
1: was good. You know what my first one was? And I've said this several times. Was it in the 80s? Yes. It was in the 80s. It was Michael Jackson. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I, I'm trying to picture Denver, you moonwalking. Mile High, I can't get there. Denver, Denver Mile High Stadium. I'm pretty sure it was him because my seat was so. I, it, I literally was on the top row, the furthest way you could be. I Me bought too. it from a scalper. And um, it sounded great, but I'm pretty sure that was him. They show him up on the jumbo screen or whatever, but yeah.
0: Yeah, we were last row, too, because you're, whatever <laughs> I was, like 15. You can't afford to actually buy like the good seats, so you just wanted to be in the building, right? And That's right. That's you remember right. it, because I'm talking about it now. Outdoor arena, yeah, it was fun. Yes. Uh, what was your high school mascot? The Indians, which every year now, uh, it's the, the school's becoming slightly woke. Uh, they keep trying to change the name, but then the students vote on it in a referendum, and every time it gets shot down, they're like, "Now we're keeping it." So uh, there's there's hope for my town at least that they're not going to what, change what's Indians. Wrong with calling it the Indians, I mean that's it's like the president and and Karine Jean-Pierre having a problem with the Braves. I mean, isn't that kind of a <laughs> positive connotation when you think about? It? I mean, I guess they figured the Cleveland Indians had to be changed, so now the Wayne Valley Indians have to be changed, and that's a whole bowl
1: of wrong. You know, if people buy their jerseys, yeah. they. wear Wear them with pride. They, it's it's nothing but a positive connotation. But anyway, yeah. uh, First celebrity crush. Oh boy.
0: It, believe it or not, because I heard that she's not the nicest person in the world. I'm sorry if you're listening, Sybil Shepherd. But when I watched Moonlighting with Bruce Willis, it was everybody <laughs> that was sees a him. great show. It was tremendous. Do you know I wrote? I actually mentioned it in the book. I forget why, but there was one episode <laughs> in March of 1987 where 57 million people tuned in just to watch Moonlighting on that's ABC. A huge number. Uh, yeah, uh, that's right. I was talking about the uh, the Academy Awards and how like something like 10 million people tune in now. And I said, boy, you know, th- that's that's ABC now. There was a show called Moonlighting once for nearly 60 million people tuned in just to watch Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd and if they're finally going to hook up. So I just had a thing for her. She had a presence. I don't know. Uh,
1: I get it. I remember the show. So yeah, there was a reason why everybody was watching.
0: He uh, was funny, Bruce. Everybody thinks Die Hard. I always think Moonlighting. And it, th- that guy is comedic timing. Like, yeah. Oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, he sad, sad, just seems sad, like a job. good
1: guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guy. Mm-hmm. First uh, real job you had, you know, other than mom and dad saying, "Hey, Joe, take out the garbage." Like, what was the first well,
0: job? Well, I was kind of an entrepreneur in college, in that I was a bookie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. At Maryland, I, now I wasn't like the it's forty thousand undergrad there, but for for uh, my fraternity house, I I was the guy who uh, uh, would, would take wagers, and I don't believe it was legal at the time. So destroy the tape when you're done here, Jay. But
1: uh, <laughs> oh yeah, well we're gonna lead with this one. That sounds good. Oh dude, I mean look, the, the house always
0: wins, and there's that's no joke. Uh, let's see, my Panama City and Cancun spring breaks. So I think we're paid by that job, but <laughs> for the sake of this conversation, I worked at Friendly's, and that's an ice cream place. On the East, I don't know if it's out there in Utah, but um, basically it's an ice cream place where as waiter It's the hardest job I've ever had and I mean this because What you have is a a clientele where it's either old people or teenagers, and they share something very, very bad in common, which is they don't tip really well. Yeah, they don't tip. Right? (laughs) And and you have to not only take the order. If they order, like, this ice cream sundae, friendly is the way it ran. You had to make the sundae as well. So you're not only just carrying everything out. You're back there making all these scoops and everything. I I lasted three weeks.
1: It just didn't go well for me. (laughs) I wish there was tape of that. (laughs) There is Uh, a picture somewhere. All right, so if you can invite one person, Just over for dinner. Just, you know, you're going to break bread, spend some time. Dead or alive. Could be anybody. Yeah. Who would that person be for you? Wow. That's a great question. And I'm going to
0: stall here because I'm thinking, I'm going through my head, like people that I really admire. Brian Kilmeade's out. Uh, Let me think. That's a joke. (laughs) Uh, I would go with, I think, Bill Parcells, who was the, the great coach who went to all these teams when they were completely down the dumps and would make them either Super Bowl winners or very close to winning Super Bowls. And I always just want to get in his head like, how do you motivate people? How did you motivate yourself? Did you have to adjust your message for different people, different players to do different things? I I think Parcells, I I think, and honestly, and this is going to sound a little bit corny, but I'd always like to kind of have dinner with Ron DeSantis. I'd I'd be curious to get into his head for a little bit. Like, hey, you know, if Trump runs, you're still going to run, right?
1: (laughs) Very curious. (laughs) You want to foreshadow the future, yeah. Yes. Well, I've had many, many a dinner with him he's a great guy he's got a wonderful wife and just he's just a rock solid guy oh good Good. i hope that uh that we can do that at some point that would be good to to get you to do this all right um most embarrassing moment oh boy there's many
0: (laughs) there's so many to choose from i would say when i was arrested that was bad
1: was um, Is this an extension of being a bookie or is no, this a different uh, No,
0: arrest? I think that's basically a slap on the wrist. Uh, so When you live in Hoboken, what you learn is that there's really no place to park. And they give out literally millions of dollars in tickets a year. Now, people don't know Hoboken. It's called the Mile Square City because it's only a square mile. So it's not very big yet. They're able to produce millions of dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then uh, one time I had gotten uh, some tickets, but then I sold my car and I moved. So then I was getting all these notices like, hey, you owe money on these tickets. And eventually they suspended my driver's license, right? So uh, one day I was out at the Jersey Shore. And I dropped my wallet and somebody was nice enough to bring it to the police station. So then the police station then uh. runs my license and realizes that there is a warrant out for my arrest for unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> <No fucking. laughs> so I I go in and they're like, OK, uh, it's their wallets right back there. They kind of tricked me on some level. I love the police, but my God. And then they close the door behind me. I go, oh, hi, what's going on? They're like, oh, uh, there's a warrant out for your arrest. You need someone to come here and bail you out. So I had to call. A girl in my house, the only one that was there at the time was a beach house that we all shared, and she ended up being my future wife, but we're walking home. She's like, oh, my God, what am I getting myself into?
1: (laughs) But I survived that, so it worked out. That's good. Thank you. But it worked. You got married. I got
0: married, and I eventually bought a car again, and uh, that was that. Yes.
1: Well, there you go. (laughs) Uh, Unique talent nobody knows about. Oh.
0: That's interesting
1: trivia. Yeah, like what can you do that most people don't know? that you I can know, name you can juggle. You can
0: do something. Uh, right. my brother can juggle. I know that. But uh, if you give me any movie, say past 1980, that isn't sci-fi or any of those like kind of right. weird movies, but kind of like a, a, a traditional like movie that people have seen. I could tell you the year it came out. Really? Yeah. If you want to try me on something.
1: Well, I hear there's a new Fletch coming out. That's When I think movies, that's what I'm most interested in. Is that true? Is that not true? Oh, yeah. going you know? Hamm.
0: Uh, he, he's gonna, I, I think it's out already, you know? But if you're oh, talking really? about the
1: original. It's that bad? It's out? And I don't even know about it? I'm like a big Fletch fan. I,
0: I think it's streaming, you know? It's like that sort of thing. So I don't know if it's oh, in movies. No. I like John Hamm, personally. But uh, if you're talking about the original Fletch, that was Chevy Chase, and that was 1985.
1: Yeah, I I love that show. All right, we'll we'll keep going that, but I I, I just have a couple more questions, and I know we got to uh, cut you loose here. Yeah, sure. A uh, big one: uh, pineapple on pizza? Never. Oh, good. Ever pepperoni? Well, you know liked you, Joe. That this just confirms it because <laughs> no, you shouldn't be putting a wet fruit on a pizza. I like I like the wet fruit and I like the pizza, but not together. Think
0: about it: it's sauce, bread, cheese, and pineapple. Why would you ever combine those four things? Just yeah, saying,
1: no,. It, it's, right? Yeah. Uh, best advice you ever got. Never, ever be outworked and that was
0: my dad. And it's true and that's why, you know, this isn't like a pat on the back type of thing, but people are like, "Why are you on Fox and Friends first every day at 5:30 in the morning? What are you crazy? You're the only person that does that." <laughs> and I said they asked me to. They said, "Well, you could say no." I said, "Yeah, that's true. But, you know what? I'm not going to be outworked and if, if that gets me five more hits a week or I'm on the air. And by the way, more than a million people are watching at that point. So it's not like you're right, right. no one's watching. You'd be surprised how many people come up to me and they say, "I see you every day I'm at the gym 5:30 in the morning on Fox and Friends." I'm like, "Hey, what are you doing up at 5: 30 in the morning like half the time these people are like 60, 70 years old but uh it, it i've kind of created like this little i don't have a show but i've created a little five minute niche for myself where it, it's it's helped build yeah. the brand so to speak so never be outworked i mean why never have that regret of somebody else getting a job over you because they worked harder than you
1: all right last question yeah favorite childhood toy
0: Ooh. On remote control cars, you know, like, I did too. I love those things. And now I'm into drones and everything. You know, I, ah. I just got my kid one, and uh, it's a cathartic yeah. thing. To yeah, fly. it was for
1: your, son, yeah, it was for your kid. <laughs> He's like, right. right, what am I going to be able to fly? Right, this? give me ten <laughs> does, more does minutes, the, kid. Does. Your son or daughter, do they ever get to use it? Or does dad always take the controls? They
0: they did. And I gave it to my son for the first time. There's one button. It's like a kill button. Basically, it drops the drone at any time. <laughs> and he kept pressing the wrong button. I'm like, you're going to land it on the..." And then he hits the wrong. He hits the button at the wrong time. He landed on the, uh, the elementary school. So um, thank God it was only 40 bucks. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah, that was that. Yeah.
1: Uh, Listen, Joe's book, come on, man. The truth about Joe Biden's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad presidency. It's out and um, it looks great. And uh, congratulations to you, because I think there's a huge insatiable desire for, for people to read up on that. And my guess is it's got a whole lot of anecdotes and stories that people just forget about you know they happen they come they go but to have it all kind of captured here in this one book congratulations
0: jason i'm telling you there's a whole chapter on the corn pop incident which is real corn pop is real and it just encapsulates everything that is Joe Biden, making up a story from whole cloth to make himself look like the bigger man, the tougher man, the better man. And uh, I mean, it's the funniest thing you'll ever read. I swear, I promise you, people listening. To... So, Jay, thanks. This has been my favorite interview. You know, you own a book tour. You do like a whole bunch of interviews. But uh, I can't wait to get you on my eventual podcast where I'm going to ask you about your most embarrassing moment, your first job and your first. Con- <laughs> wait. I already know your first concert. That, that was Michael Jackson, which
1: I never saw coming. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Joe Concha, everybody. Joe, thank you. Thank you again for joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. All right, man. My pleasure. Have a good one. All right. I can't thank Joe enough. Uh, Fun guys. Written a great book. Come on, man. Uh, You should be able to find it easily on the internet or wherever you buy uh, books. I thank Joe for joining us. You can go over to foxnewspodcast.com for other types of podcasts uh, from the Fox News family. I uh, really appreciate it if you could rate it. If you could subscribe to it, we get uh, we got a great new guest coming up next week, and I hope you're able to join us then. But so far, uh, I just want to thank you for listening to Jason and the House.